This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. All right. This is a guest I'm excited about. Laura Tremaine is on the show today. I've been following her on Instagram for quite a while, and I've always thought she had really relatable, honest, and encouraging things to say over there. So uh, she has a new book out called The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. I loved going through each chapter and kind of looking at my own life and thinking, okay, which friends go in which seat and how can I be a better friend? How can I show up for the people in my life? And also I recently moved. I mean, it's not that recent anymore, but two years ago. And so I have really been on this making friends phase of life. And a lot of this book spoke to me. People talk all the time about how it's hard to make friends as an adult. And if you have ever felt that way, you will find something relatable in this book. Laura is also a podcaster. She has a podcast called 10 Things to Tell You. She loves to read. She's got her own awesome book club going on this summer, Stephen King Summer. And I do have to pick her brain a little bit about Stephen King in the beginning of this episode. Laura is also the author of the book, Share Your Stuff, All Go First. We covered a lot in this episode from... Stephen King, to podcasting, to business, but the bulk of it is all about friendship, and I hope that you take something tangible from this episode. If you do love the podcast, or this episode specifically, please share it on your social media. Tag us, why is everyone yelling? Tag me personally, lindsayhine626. That is one of the best ways this podcast can get out to more ears, and I'd really love that to happen. Uh, You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. That takes about, ooh, 90 seconds out of your day, and it is much appreciated. To support the podcast, which actually we talk about this, ways to support podcasters in this episode, go to patreon.com slash lindsayhine, and you can support for as little as $1 a month if you are enjoying these episodes every single week. Uh, Thanks so much for being here, and enjoy my conversation with Laura Tremaine. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Laura Tremaine on the show. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Y'all, we just talked for like 20 minutes about all the podcasting things. So don't worry, we saved it so you don't have to listen to it in the episode. (laughs) I love your Stephen King shirt. Oh, thank you. Stephen King Summer, the third annual Stephen King Summer is starting here in June. And so I'm like repping it today. Let's start here. Can you just tell us about your Stephen King love? Listen, I'm obsessed with Stephen King. I'm like an evangelist. (laughs) And it's so funny to people because, you know, I don't know if it's the way I look, you know, like like a blonde haired mom of two. Like, you know, (laughs) like I don't really look like your typical Stephen King fan, maybe. But I have loved him since the fourth grade. Like I started reading him when I was 10 years old. And I'm very glad that I had parents that didn't censor anything I read. I'm actually really passionate about that. Mm, and Tell me more. Well, I think that it really shaped who I am. Uh. And I read all kinds of things that we would deem as adults inappropriate. They went right over my head 
I didn't even know what I was reading. Uh-huh. But I was you know, a smart kid. I was a voracious reader. And I feel like if they had kept me reading at grade level or something, that would have really stifled, like, my education, my, like, shaping who I was becoming. I probably wouldn't have been as passionate a reader if I was having to read kitty stuff Mm -hmm. as a kid. So, I mean, this is like, this is its own podcast episode. I I could really go into how passionate I am about that my parents didn't censor what I read. I do not censor what my kids read. I'm very anti-book banning, if you might follow that thread. And so I started reading Stephen King when I was young, probably too young, but it also changed the way that I thought about books and storytelling and writing. And I had a lot of childhood anxieties pre- reading horror. Like uh-huh. the, the anxieties were already there. And uh-huh. actually there's scientific based evidence of why people who have anxieties seek out scary things. Interesting. It's almost, yeah, like almost like, I don't know, I don't want to misquote the exact science, but I don't know if it like sort of eliminate, like alleviates some fears maybe, or like, um, I don't know. I feel, I love that I started reading what I feel is the master of the craft when I was very young. And I talk about reading a ton on my own show and on social media, mostly not horror. Like I'm mostly talking about maybe more mainstream books for my general audience. And I just hear that women are scared to read Stephen King. I am. Yeah. They think that it's going to be very scary. They don't, you know, want to stay up at night, you know, or whatever. And I feel like... Almost every person that I've convinced to do Stephen King Summer with me, and and they're new to Stephen King, comes away saying, this wasn't scary the way I thought it was. Reading Stephen King is not like a horror movie. There's no jump scares in a novel. His books are a lot more psychological. They're a lot more culturally relevant. It's not like, I think it's just not like what people expect. It's smarter and more layered, and the scariness is isn't like, oh, I'm, you know, scared to be alone at night or something like that's that. That's my thing. Okay. That's not it. Okay. I mean, some of his books are scarier than others. So he has books that I, I find to be very scary because they deal with like child death or things mm-hmm. like that, that I just, that's emotional for me. I don't yeah. want to read that. But like the horror parts of his stories that we picture, like Carrie with the blood being dropped on her in the prom or you know, the clown in It, It is not scary in the way the movie is scary. Okay. It's just so different. I mean, listen, here I am. I'm like really rattling on about this. You love Stephen King. I love it. I love Stephen King, but even I'm even more passionate about women reading outside of their comfort zone. Yes. I love that. So Stephen King Summer, is that like something you're doing? Yes. So this is my third annual Stephen King Summer. I started in 2021. Okay. And it's like a book club slash we do watch a couple of movies and we just talk about Stephen King all summer. This year we're reading The Stand. Okay. And then we're reading his nonfiction memoir called On Writing. Okay. So I always choose, every year I choose something a little bit scarier, although The Stand is definitely more psychological than it is horror. And then I always choose something that's not scary. Like I always choose something for the people who are interested but really just can't do any level of, yeah. of fear, which I I respect. So I want them to like – because he actually has several books um, that aren't scary at all. Okay. Like, You've sold me. I Good mean job. my my favorite Stephen King 
book. It's a it's a brick. It is like eleven hundred pages. Oh boy. But I know, I know. But it's not scary at all. It's time travel. It's called eleven twenty two sixty three. It is excellent. You will totally get like how good he is at storytelling and creating these worlds. It is not horror. It's a little bit thriller. It's time travel. It's about someone who goes back in time to try and stop the JFK assassination. Mm. There's okay. no scary clowns. <laughs> okay. First of all, I just have to say, we cannot get through all of this in 40 minutes. We're going to have to do a second podcast. <laughs> I'm, so- I- I'm sorry. I didn't know we were going to start with Stephen King. No, would- I'm so excited. Um, but can you just tell, because I have more follow-up questions. And I'm like, Lindsay, you don't have time for these follow-up questions. Um, first ever Stephen King book, where do you start? Well, if it's if you're first ever, it sort of depends on what you're into. But I do recommend people start with Carrie. Really? It was his first novel. It's not very long. So it's not like a huge commitment. When when his best novels are very, very long. Okay. It, but that's, the stand, hard, that's scary to, d- to dive into right away. That's away. too hard for me to recommend to people. I'm yeah. like, listen, this is too hard. <laughs> um, so Carrie is very manageable. It is, you know, I think it's like 300-ish pages. It's dated because it was yes. published, you know, like in the 70s. So it, it has some dated elements. Yes. But it's a teenage drama. Who isn't used to, you know, yeah. that? Um, it's so much more manageable. Even the prom scene that you know is coming because that's famous yep. in a pop culture way. It's not that scary. Like okay. what is happening in it isn't like I feel like people are thinking it's like yeah. graphically murderous yeah. or yeah. something. That's not what is happening. It's a it's a very approachable book. Another one that is not scary at all that people might be familiar with and so that you can kind of get this grasp on Stephen King is um, The Shawshank Redemption. It's actually the full title is Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption is a short story. So people who are familiar with that movie and love yes. that movie, yes. a lot of people are. So you, you, you know, kind of know that that's a movie about relationship and it's a prison novel. But not horror at all. And it's a short story. I didn't know so, it was Stephen King. That's Stephen King. There's a lot of things that people don't know are Stephen King. I mean, should I have known that? I feel kind of silly that I didn't. No. I. How would you know if you don't know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's almost like a sort of safer place to start and sort of see if you like. It follows the movie. I mean, the movie follows the yeah. story very closely. So, you know, you know that there's not going to be like suddenly a scary murderous clown. Yeah. Those are kind of places that I love to start. Okay. Uh, now very I join your club. Is that I, is that part of your super secret group or is that something separate? It is. It's part of my secret stuff group. Okay. Secret stuff. So it's a part of my membership community, yeah. which is seven dollars a month. Yeah. So if you own, if you did all of Stephen King's summer, three months of it would be twenty one dollars for the whole summer. Very affordable. Um, and it's really fun, and we just get to geek out about Stephen King. Um. Okay. So I love it. I love it. And before we dive into friendship, which we're going to dive into, <laughs> I do I do just have to ask you a little bit about the the secret uh what is it called? Secret stuff. Secret stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like the online world that we're in and like cuz I have community platforms like that like paid membership programs as well. Um and sometimes it can be really hard to get people to like buy into it or understand the value of it and understand that it's not just supporting like the Stephen King summer. It's supporting like everything you're doing holistically. Like, I don't know. It's challenging and it's saturated, right? There's like so many creators out there. I'm just curious, like, I'm sure you've thought about this a lot. 
It's so hard to grow a membership community, even if you have a lot of people that love listening to your free podcast or right. love following you on Instagram or love your newsletter, all the things that creators offer for free. It is like a bridge too far for a lot of followers or, you know, an audience because they're used to getting all of this stuff for free. Yeah. And also, like you said, there's so many other people out there that are offering it that you're like, God, I love I love 25 creators and they all want me to pay. Like I, nobody can afford to pay 25 creators $5 a month each or whatever. Like that's, it's just too hard. And And I have so much time to like consume all the content. Of course. Like I get that. But as a creator who's been doing this for like 15 years online, I had to have another way to make money. Mm -hmm. This is a business. This is a job. I put a ton of effort into it. And I have ads on my podcast, so that's why an audience gets it for free, and I'm happy to do that. And I will not take even one ounce of criticism for that. Right. So I'm creating something for free. It's it's supplemented by the ads. Yes. Yay. Please use the discount codes of your favorite podcasters because yes. that really matters. Yes. And we all win, right? That's a wonderful business model, except that in the pandemic and in, you know, past times of of inflation and the economy and whatever, ad revenue dries up. Advertising agencies don't spend as much on podcasts when they are having to tighten their own belts. And so this like goes, you know, this trickles down, right, like to the audience. So if I'm not making any money, I cannot continue to make something for free. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, creators offer paid things, including memberships. I fully understand that only a very small percentage of my audience is going to even want to or be able to pay for that. And so this is why I try to make it like I try to diversify my different offerings. So I had someone say to me recently, like they would much rather buy my book than join my membership community. And I'm like, great. However you choose to support me because you like what I'm doing, I'm all for that. Like, obviously, in a perfect world, you want people to buy your book and join your membership community and buy your online course and, you know, whatever. We want all of that. But that's unreasonable. And I mean, I don't even do that for my favorite creators. (laughs) I know. So as long as an audience is aware of, you know, if I really like this thing that I've been consuming for free, I'm going to show a support somehow. Yeah. So I'm going to buy the thing or join the thing. And if that is really out of reach for me right now, I'm going to share the thing. That's I'm going to go leave a five-star rating. Yep. I'm going to, you know, support it in this other way that I can. But we do have to, like, tell audiences to do that because I think we're so used to, all of us, even creators, are so used to so much good, amazing content out there that it sort of just doesn't even cross our mind like, oh, they don't need my five-star review. They already have a thousand of those or whatever, but it actually does really matter. So however you choose to do it, but like for me talking to you, creator to creator, it is so hard to grow a community. So hard. And I think it's gotten harder because back in the day... There was just less saturation. And now I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, everybody's doing something. And I oh, I don't like I sometimes feel like I just don't have the capacity to like create more and do more and keep up with the newest trend and all the things. And it can just feel a little bit overwhelming. Well, and also I love the work that I create. 
But I'm a creator and not a marketer. Yeah. So it's actually really difficult for me to convince people that it's worth their $7 a month. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't, I'm not good at like selling this. Trying to sell it. Yeah. And I've tried different sort of like strategies to grow it or whatever. And sometimes they work and, and sometimes they don't. But I've also tried to just sort of be like, listen, I marketing is not my biggest skill set. However, in a membership community or things that are paid, it's not like if you build it, they will come. That's actually like literally not true. Right. <laughs> it's not. You got to give out all the samples. Like really got to get like a big taste of exactly what they're going to get. No, it's so true. Membership community members tend to share that less. Yeah, for so, sure. So audiences are more likely to share something that's free, like, oh, my God, go listen to this episode right. um, or whatever. Or I love this social media account. She cracks me up, whatever, whatever. People are more likely to share that with their friends, something free. When people are paying to be in a membership, they're, like, really quiet about it. Yeah, because <laughs> they don't want to ask anybody, like, to spend the money, even though, like, just sharing it, you're not asking them. You're just saying, like, hey, I like being a part of this. Right. But I also think they, like, feel weird about that they pay for it, maybe. Yeah. So they don't want to, like, uh-huh. I don't know. People have a lot of, there's so many feelings around this that that people who stay, who are in memberships, or at least maybe this is mine, because it's also called secret stuff. Yeah, I love so it. They, I love they keep it a it secret. Like, and so then then it's really hard to grow if yeah. the only way people will ever, he- ever hear about it is from me. Uh-huh. Well, that's that growth is going to you're going to hit a ceiling, you know, right. so. And ever, all the other creators that you're friends with, they're promoting their own stuff. So, no, I yeah. totally we could literally I guess I need to do a whole nother series and episodes <laughs> on podcasting because so many people do podcast. Um, but, yeah, there's so much to this. I um, I picked up your book, The Life Council. And I mentioned to you before that I'm pretty sure I found you through Jamie Golden, mm-hmm. who, you know, is the ho- co-host of the podcast. And that was a season in my life when I first started podcasting myself. I was listening to her and I was listening to Jamie Ivey. And I'm sure you know Jamie Ivey. And though between those two shows, I was like, I, I have to start my own podcast. Like, I just want to do this. Um, and I, I been still listening to the pod popcast to this day. I was on their Patreon page forever. Um, but anyway, so I started following you and one of the things you shared way before this book came out, like maybe a couple years ago, even, I don't even remember, but I remember I quoted you on an Instagram post and it was about being quick to say yes, if you're going to say yes. So it's because so many times I think we wait for that pause. We wait to email back later or text later because we don't, maybe we don't want to feel lame. Like I don't have anything else going on. Um, Maybe we do want to think about it a little bit more. But recently in my life, I've had some friends that do that. I'll be like, hey, do you guys want to come over for dinner? Like, do you want to meet us here? And she's like, yeah, we'll be there. What time? It is like such a relief when someone does that. How did you even like think of that idea? I just, I never thought of it as a thing, but it is a thing. Well, because I received what I called the gift of a quick yes in a few different ways. And it, you know, I really noticed like, wow, this made such a difference to me that this person said yes right away. Because when you give someone a quick yes, and and in some ways you can't, some ways you're not capable of giving a quick yes. You have to check your calendar. You have to check your responsibilities. You have to check with a spouse, whatever. 
when you can give a quick yes, it shows that you trust a person, that you like a person. And when you have asked, when you're the one who has asked for anything, whether it's to come to dinner, you know, will you do something, you know, be on my podcast, like whatever the ask is, personal or professional, it's vulnerable to ask. Mm-hmm. And the gift of a quick no, if you know that you can't do it, is also can also be a gift. Right. Because then you can move on to the next. Exactly. Or whatever. But I feel like that's talked about more, mm-hmm. like, than the gift of a quick yes. And one of the things that happened that really made me, like, almost want to cry and why, why I posted about this is because I asked someone to write to, to endorse my book, like write a formal endorsement for my book. That's a big ask. You not expect a quick yes back from that type of an ask. This is a professional ask, even if you're friendly. They have to read the whole book. They're putting their name on the line to endorse it, like all this. I would have never expected a quick yes on that. When I received it immediately, it literally made me want to weep because we mm-hmm. don't even let ourselves think that anything that we ask, even if we're asking for someone to come over for dinner, we're extending a part of ourselves Mm -hmm. to be accepted or rejected. Mm -hmm. And so when it's immediately a yes, that said to me, in this case, it was a really big ask. In this case, I was like, oh, they don't even have to read the book first. They trust so Mm -hmm. much in what I put into the world. It was such validation because they weren't doing me a favor as a friend or a favor out of obligation. That could have been a no for them. And and I would have respected it because I get asked to endorse books, too. And there's a lot of factors in that ask and and in that response. So that was one of the things that happened that was a quick yes. And I think another one that was a quick yes that made me post about it was a social one. Like you were saying, like, when you invite someone to go do something with you or whatever, when they say yes immediately, socially, that means they want to spend time with you. They like Mm -hmm. spending time with you. That sounds fun to them. When you ask someone to do something socially and their reply is like, let me get back to you, even though that is legitimate, even though, of course, you have to check with your family or your life or whatever, there's a part of you that feels like, okay, well, they're seeing if there's something better on their calendar. Totally. Totally. And a quick yes is relationship building. It's Uh validation. It's all of these things that I just feel like we don't talk about. Because we talk about how it's polite and nice and fair to give a quick no. Yes. And there's a lot of talk about like having your boundaries and like saying no to things these days. And I love this idea of actually saying yes. And another thing with the world, we always have to caveat everything, (laughs) especially on social media. Like you were saying, like, yeah, sometimes you do have to do that. Um, But I, I love the idea. I never read the book. But, you know, Shonda Rhimes wrote that book, Year of Yes. Did you ever Mm -hmm. read that book? No. But I think that's kind of the idea of it. Like, you know, there are certain times in our lives where we're like bogged down with little babies and all the things. And you you just you have to say no more. But when the opportunities arise to say yes more, like what doors does that open? Because if you're the one giving a quick yes, that can also be very validating to you. We get too much in our own heads about like, oh, let me think about it. It's also a burden to the person responding, right? Like if I want to do something, like if if a request comes in and I want to do it, energetically, it sort of snags if I'm like, well, give me a minute. Do I really like why? 
Why are we all tangled in our heads about everything? And it, it just wastes space in your brain. It's yes. exhausting. Just say yes if you want to say yes. Yeah. There's so much talk about boundaries. And I understand why we talk about that. We talk yeah. about boundaries and self-care after literally centuries of women not talking about boundaries right (laughs) so like I understand it but I also think we have the scale has been tipped a little bit in where I feel like now we have well I say this in my book I don't know if you've gotten to this part yet but I talk about how I feel that we have often boundaried ourselves into loneliness Mm, agree I haven't gotten to that chapter yet tell me more because we've said so many no's we've said I can't go to this because I'm really prioritizing you know, getting enough sleep, getting enough rest, which matters. Or I am really trying to not have so many things on my plate, which matters. But when you do that too much, you have taken spontaneity and relationship and fun off the table. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you need to make those trade-offs. You really need to get more rest. You really need to take things off your plate. But there's so much talk around that that I feel like I see women all around me who now have so many boundaries and so many walls. They can't go out. They can never go out on these days of the week. They can, you know, never say yes to this. They, can, they can't be friends with someone who is like this. Like <laughs> there's right. all these boundaries and walls. And I all I see around it is that it has made us have lack where we thought it was going to give us abundance. And sometimes it does. Again, it's a trade-off. So this isn't a blanket statement. But I have seen that all these boundaries, deeming people that we disagree with as toxic. Okay, disagreeing with someone does not make anybody toxic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like all of these internet psychology things, (laughs) you know, and I'm pro-therapy and all of it, it can go too far. It can. And then we're in an epidemic of loneliness. And I have seen in my own relationships, you know, I have friends who are like, I'm going to tell you something, but I'm going to set the boundary that you're like not allowed to respond. (laughs) And I'm like, well, what is that? That's not relationship. That's an announcement. Yeah. All right, friends, if you are looking to up your eyelash game, you got to go to helloskincare.com and check out the lash therapy. This eyelash serum has totally changed my eyelashes and it works within two weeks. It is wild. I didn't actually know that this would work when I started using it and I was shocked at how much fuller, how much longer my eyelashes looked when I started using the product. Lash Therapy's formula is specifically developed to provide your lashes with maximum nourishment and moisture. It also delivers all the necessary vitamins, peptides, and amino acids to your growing lashes so they can be the longest, fullest, most resilient version of themselves. All right, so you can support the podcast and support your eyelashes when you go to helloskincare.com. Use the code LindsayH20 for 20% off your order. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of the show. I always said, like, I don't feel it as much now, but especially when my kids were really young, it was like, why am I so lonely? I'm, like, with people all day, my kids. Um, But it was harder to say yes then, or I felt like the people that I could say yes to, their kids were different ages and and whatnot. Now my kids are a little bit older and things are a little bit easier, but, um, I've, I've recently moved about two years ago and this quick yes thing has been so important to me because I'm the new girl. 
I'm the one that feels vulnerable because you all, and we're in the South, we're in Raleigh. So like, I feel like these are like deep seated friendships. Like these people are like lifelongers here. <laughs> um, there's some transplants too, but um, their grandma lives here. Their mom lives here. All their sisters live down the street. And so I'm like, who has room for me, you mm-hmm. know, and it's been really challenging. So those few people that have given me the quick yes have been a godsend because I think I, I don't know what I would be doing without them. I'd be second guessing this move. That's for sure. And why are we constantly weighing relationships and choices like this? Like, like who gets to- my attention? Yes. Like we have to make a pro and con list for everything. We do not. No. I think we're making some of these things too hard that we can't just say yes to fun and to, like I said, spontaneity and to um, trying something like adventure. We really take too many things into consideration. Yeah. And and that I know that that's easy for me to say, you know, like it is. My kids are a little bit older now, so yeah. I'm not working around a nap time schedule or whatever. Like we all have different considerations. Never finan- again. <laughs> right. Like you have financial considerations at some point, family schedules, like all the things. There's so many considerations. But I also think we make a lot of things harder than they need to be. And you know why we're doing that? We're trying to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We're trying to live our best lives. We're trying to be seen as, you know, good stewards of our time and money and choices. Like it's a lot of it is perfectionism and oh, it harms so our relationships. Yeah. I was once in a, like a, a group and um, one of the girls, they were just always busy all the time. Their calendar was always full. And for us to plan anything, it had to be like four weeks out. And I was like, I can't operate like this. Like, I need you to be able to be like, hey, Thursday this week, let's go do this. Mm-hmm. And like, I get that schedules have to happen, but I need some room for that. Like, I'm just going to pop over. Is that OK? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, did you say that to them? <sighs> I mean, nicely. I think we made jokes about how I was on one end and they were on the other end of that. You know what I mean? And it never ultimately like the friendship kind of fizzled, you know, like we'll Well, text each other and like cheer each other on. But like we're not like buddies, buddies. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had in um, this has been years now, but in a friend group I was in. Someone who was like you're describing. And, you know, sometimes we're all like this. Like we're just right. like too busy. We, we have kids that play sports. We have all, you know, whatever. Like that really takes up a lot of your calendar. But there was a woman in the group. This is a group of mom friends. There was a woman in the group who, you know, worked full time, had a couple kids. Like she was very busy and very full. But when a, a few incidents happened, and I'm sort of making this shorter. But like yeah, when it was sort of said to her. You're too hard to schedule time with. Yeah. She heard it and she changed. Oh. I mean, she, well, she cried. I mean, it was a hard conversation. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be a big, hard conversation, but it was sort of just like, well, what had happened was she had stopped sort of getting invited to stuff and whatever. And so she was like, why? And we were like, you're, because you can never come. It's always a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's too hard to schedule with you. You can, you're always a no, like the sort of tying to all the things that we're talking about. She was devastated. It was like sort of hard. But then she was like, you're right. Mm. It shouldn't be 
so hard to see me. <laughs> like so I, you know, that she like processed it. Yeah, kind of. It kind of taught me a lot. The, there was sort of a lot of different dynamics happening in in what I'm talking about in this friend group. There was sort of a lot of different things happening at once, but this was like a sliver of it. And the whole thing, you know, was one of the triggers. I, I had a few things in my life: some friendship angst, some friendship breakups. Like there was a a lot of things that happened to me in my mid 30s, let's say that kind of ended up becoming why I wanted to write a book about friendship. Mm. It got me thinking about these different things that we're talking about, saying yes to people, um, bringing more fun into our lives instead of making friendship be like, you know, every friend has to be a deep heart-to-heart type of friend. Mm-hmm. No, you can have shallow friends, which I write about in my book, Shallow Friends. Shall- I'm not calling them shallow people, but the the relationship itself is sort of more on the shallow side. You don't go deep. That can be a gift. That can be so fun. So a few things happened that made me want to write more about friendship. And actually, that was one of them is is this woman sort of being told that she was it was hard to be in relationship with her. It was hard to be friends with her because she didn't have very many open doors, if you will. But she heard it and and she made some adjustments and she's a wonderful person then and now. And um it mattered. It mattered that we were sort of able to say it to her, honestly. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I don't remember who planted this seed in my head, but I also remember I posted about this um, one time on Instagram. It was like, when you know, when you like post something, and you're like, should that go in my book? You you talked about this. You did an episode on your podcast about writing your book. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to that episode and I listened to your episode with Retha, um, your business coach, but oftentimes when I have like a really heartfelt or like deep thing to post, like actually a couple days ago, I just posted about, so I just had like a major surgery and I've been like reflecting on it a lot on my Instagram. And I posted something about my grandma and I was like, should that have been for a book one day? And mm. I'm like, well, I can still go in the book. It'll be deeper in the book. Yeah. Um, but anyway, one of these posts that I like were really heartfelt for my own um, reasons said something about like letting people show up for you and it could have been you that had this idea in my head like letting people show up the way that they show up for you not the way you want them to show up for you Mm -hmm. because like you know after this surgery like somebody might send me send me flowers but not text me or not call me and like that's their love and someone else might just like text me every day and like not send me anything and that's the way they show love Mm -hmm. Um, so just like not judging the way people do show up right like letting them care for you the way that makes sense to them there's a lot of factors into that like maybe culturally where you grew up you send flowers or food or whatever and maybe someone else is like, well, I never learned you were supposed to send food. Yeah. Um, maybe someone else is like, I am the worst cook on earth. I'm not sending her food even a little bit. That food isn't their value or love language. Um, texting all the time. You know, if I had surgery and someone texted me every day, that would bug the heck out of me. So I would <laughs> never do that to someone else. You know, we're all showing love the way we would want to receive it. Yeah. And so... This is easier said than done. Uh, believe me, this is easier said than done because sometimes you're like, no, I really needed you to check on me. What is happening? This seems like basic friendship 101. Yeah. But you have to sort of see, well, but they picked up my kids from school yeah. while I was 
you know, incapacitated or they whatever they did um, or if they didn't do anything at all, which also sometimes happens. Having trying to have grace for them of like what's going on in their life that they couldn't show up for me at all. Mm-hmm. Is this a habit? Is this a season? Did they maybe like truly not know that it was needed or expected or wanted? And is it worth bringing up with them or not? Like, hey, I haven't heard from you. Remember I had a surgery? <laughs> yeah. Remember that big life-changing event that went down? I know. I, and surgery aside, like, I've been doing this lately, especially since I moved. Like, when I start feeling, like, sad that, like, none of my old friends are, like, reaching out or something. Or I'm like, why don't I talk to this person anymore? I will, like, fire off, like, 10 text messages to 10 different people because I'm like, I'm just going to be the one to to touch base, right? And it that usually makes everything better. And we connect. And so... Um, I've been trying to do that instead of like throwing myself this like big pity party. Like, why haven't they texted me? I do a thing. I started doing a thing. You know, this might have been around either my first book or the pandemic, which was around the same time. I can't remember where I didn't want to do texts to friends that were like checking in or whatever Mm. that sort of required something back from them. So let's use the pandemic as an example. We're all underwater. Uh We're all stressed out. This Uh is an international emergency. (laughs) Like, I I don't want to check in with them and and necessarily require a response. So I started doing this thing where I text text people waving hello. (laughs) I I like literally say that. I I love that. Because I feel like I'm on my island. You're on their island. Yeah. I mean, I'm on my island. They're on their island. Like, I'm just waving hello. You can wave back. But if you don't, it doesn't feel like you didn't respond to me. Uh Uh-huh. I'm cool with it. Yeah, I'm cool with it. Like, I'm just, I thought of you. But it also feels like a little, like a less weightier, like thinking of you sometimes can feel like weird. I mean, and I'll I'll text people that I'm thinking of them. But you know what I mean? Like sometimes that feels like emotional. What what else is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, not emotional. It's not emotional. I just thought of you. I'm waving hello. And and then friends will text back like, ahoy or whatever. You know what I mean? They'll just be like waving hello from my island too because we're all on islands. I mean, yeah. And part of it is that like when you do that, you're like opening the door in case they do want to let off some more. Like yeah. unload some more because that's that's the thing is like if you you haven't heard from someone in a long time and you've got something you want to unload and you don't feel like you can just reach out and unload without, you know, an, a contact point first. Right. And I usually give some context like I'll say like waving hello from our insane volleyball season or whatever, uh-huh. you know, sort of indicating I know I've been MIA. Yeah. You've been MIA. I'm just saying hello without any strings attached, sort of. Like, I usually do give a little bit of context, like waving hello from our crazy holiday season. I don't know, whatever it is. Uh-huh. And I have, I don't know, no one has ever given me any feedback on that, but it does feel like a lower bar than I love feeling it. like- Oh, for sure. A, you have to give like a full report back. Right, like, how are you doing? Oh, boy. Well, yeah, there's like, a lot here. <laughs> it's a much lower bar to just be like waving hello back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my question with the Life Council, though- I was thinking about this as you were, um, you know, you have all the the people on your seats, your 10 seats. Um, I'm like, did anybody feel left out? Well, I mean, they they did. They didn't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I I feel like I'd like get to the end and I'd be like, who did I miss? And like, are their feelings going to be hurt if they like catch wind of this? (laughs) I mean, 
that's a real question and maybe. And also, that wasn't the point for me. Yeah. If someone said to me, like, I wish I had been written about in your book or I wish that I I think I thought that I occupied the seat and you wrote about this other person or something. I mean, you know, if they were they brought like a legit like I'm feeling feelings about this, um, then I'm happy to talk about that because it's not like I own those are my only friends in life that I wrote about. I have a lot of friends that I didn't write about in the acknowledgments. I tried to cover a lot of different people that I even say in the acknowledgments of like. There are so many people that have filled my life that, you know, filled these seats. And, and, you know, I tried to list a lot of people, and I'm sure I missed some even there, too. I mean, it's definitely something you have to think about when you're writing nonfiction that has a memoir bent, which I am. But I also have to go back to one of my core friendship philosophies, which that I write about in the book. I have five friendship philosophies, and one of them is believe the best. Mm-hmm. I need people to believe the best in me and realize if I didn't write about them, it wasn't personal, you know, or it it wasn't like a intentional, like leaving them out. That's not what this is. This is a job for me. Mm -hmm. This I'm, you know, it's not like every one of my friendships is, is in this book. Yeah. And I have to do this on a much smaller scale, not book length, but like it's, almost easier to talk about this in terms of social media. Yeah. If I post about people or yes. friendship or whatever, for other people to feel like left out that oh, I didn't I think about that. Yeah. tag them or I didn't, you know, yeah. write about our whatever trip together or something. That's, I feel like I get more um, maybe feelings about that. But I do think that most of my friendships, if we've ever even tiptoed to discussing this part of it, they, they're they like, I see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I see – that sounds ominous. Like, I, I can see what you're doing online. Like, I, yeah. I understand the bigger picture of what your work is, what your message is, the kind of things you like to post. And, I mean, I try to tell my real friends, don't please don't even follow me on social media. <laughs> Because I love it. I'm addicted to social media. I think it's fun. It is also work, part of my work. Yeah. And so I cannot get into this, like, what you're describing. Like, were they? did they feel left out? If they did, we can talk about it. But what I write about and what I post on social is separate from what my real life is. Mm-hmm. So we have a friendship that's real. It's intermingled but separate from my work. Right, I don't know. right. Hey friends, are you looking for basically the best sleep you've ever had? Well, you need to check out Lagoon Pillows. They are my favorite pillow. They help me sleep so much better and deeper. The softest, just melt into the pillow kind of pillow. Now I said soft because I do like my pillows kind of soft, but the cool thing is, is that you take a two minute quiz and they match you up with the pillow that is specific for you, whether you're a side sleeper, a back sleeper, a belly sleeper, any way you sleep, they have a pillow for you. I have been looking for pillows, like good pillows for years. And I had been using a pillow from Target, which I liked, but wasn't in love with. I had tried Tempur-Pedic. I had tried so many pillows and this is the one that is my favorite. I use the Otter. Uh, You can use the code 
Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y for 15% off your first order. Go check it out. Get your partner a pillow too. Just grab two pillows. You will love them. Your partner will love them. You'll both be sleeping better. So, you know, when you sleep better, you're happier, you're nicer, all the things. So go to lagoonsleep.com slash Lindsay, L-A-N-D-S-E-Y. Use that code Lindsay for 15% off your first order. All right, friends, back to the show. We'll talk about share your stuff because I think that kind of goes with what you're, what you're saying here. Like you, you do share your life on social media, but you're saying you don't share all of it. I don't even share 20% of it. Mm. Which is shocking for people because... Because your books I share your stuff. Yeah, and I share a lot. Yeah. But I really don't. What What do you focus on sharing? Um, it's changed over time. Like when my kids were littler, I shared more family stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm going through a hard time, I tend to share things that are more neutral, like book recommendations, inspirational quotes, whatever, like things that are touching me but that aren't quite necessarily personal. Yeah. Um. You know, I, the last year I've spent a lot of time talking about friendships because I was having a book come out about friendships. But there's so – I'm not – this sounds – I don't want it to sound um, any kind of way. But there's so much of my life that I don't share so much. Like I don't share family stuff as much anymore because my kids are older. Right. Um, you know, we live in Hollywood and live this like – ridiculously silly LA life I don't share hardly any of that Mm. yeah tell everybody what your husband does and how you guys met (laughs) Uh, my husband is a producer director he created Jackass which is a series of movies anybody that's like a millennial or around elder millennial or whatever is gonna know what Jackass is okay well I always feel like especially if I'm talking to like mom life middle-aged women like whatever I'm like I don't know if they know what jackass is but yes I feel like jackass was like I feel like I was in high school when jackass got big what because you moved out to LA in what 2002 I moved out in 2001 and we made jackass the movie the first jackass movie in 2002 which is where I met Jeff okay and I graduated high school in 02 okay yeah yeah so the tv show had been on MTV starting in like 1999 okay so I was in college and and then I moved out here and we met on that set of his first movie. Now he's done lots of other things, documentaries, commercials, TV shows. Like he's done a lot of other stuff. But that's what he's primarily known for. And that is a major part of our life that I don't share about it barely at all. Yeah. Maybe a few times a year I'll share about. Like an event or something? Something that ha- might be tangential to Jeff's career. Um, but in regular life, like proportionately, that's a big part of our life. Right. I mean, it's my husband's job. Like it's yeah. that's a, you know, a big chunk of our life. And I don't ever share that online. So there's a lot of stuff, you know, parenting, extended family. I don't know, health stuff. Like there's a lot of stuff I don't share. Now, I do not think that that is contrary to my message of share mm. your stuff or my book, share your stuff, because I do share those things, but not publicly. Mm. The share your stuff idea isn't about sharing yourself online publicly. It's about mm. sharing yourself with people, whatever that looks like. Mm. Your small group, your book club, your mom friends, your whatever, your running friends. Mm-hmm. Like it's just about sharing yourself Mm. and how that works in your life. I share my stuff 
plenty. I went to a <laughs> I went to a girls' lunch yesterday with two of my best friends, and you know we had a big important talk about marriage. Uh huh. That was me sharing my stuff and them sharing their stuff, and I that would never in a million years be something I would write about publicly. No. <laughs> I was actually just talking about that. You just like can't right. But I was also talking about I had just on on this podcast. How that can make marriage feel really lonely sometimes because when you do fight or you do have issues, people aren't talking about it online, rightfully so, because you're not going to air your dirty laundry. But then you have this like view that nobody else is doing, you know, going through it, which is why it's so important to share it in your small group. Whereas I think parenting, people more openly share the parenting struggles. Right. But they might not share it. Like if I was having a particular struggle with my teenager, mm-hmm. I might be able to Google it and find someone online who has shared their own experience that is helpful to me or whatever to just hear someone, you know, another mom say it. But in my direct mom friend group, we don't always share our struggles. It's hard to share in real life sometimes certain things because you don't want them to judge your right kid or your spouse or your whatever, you know, whatever the thing is. Because then they have to know them every day. So mm-hmm. it's sometimes you want to share online anonymously or not because it's people who you're not really going to have to interact with, yeah. you know. Um, so it's sort of, you know, I feel like I'm arguing both ways. But totally. the share your stuff message is, it encompasses all of this. Yes. It's like share your stuff online if that's what's going to be helpful to you. Share your stuff in person with trusted friends because you need to be able to share it. Like share your stuff in art, share your stuff, however that comes out for you. But the message is don't keep it in. Don't do it alone. Don't become unknown. Mm -hmm. Don't get to the middle part of your life and you've spent so much time protecting a spouse or your kids or a career that nobody even knows who you are because you never say anything. You will feel lonely. You will be unknown. And that's how we connect. Um, so the Life Council, what is it? How, what's the tagline? Ten friends every woman needs. Yep. Okay, ten friends every woman needs. You leave an empty seat. What is the empty seat? So the empty chair is one of the most important parts of the book. And I think when people see the title of the book, The Life Council, Ten Friends Everyone Needs, Every Woman Needs, they feel like immediately, oh, no, I don't have 10 friends. I've never had 10 friends. And so I always want to clarify that the 10 friends that I write about at the Life Council, it's over the course of your life. Yeah, you're that's not a gonna, lot of people. Yeah, you're not going to always have the seats that I write about all completely filled. And some of them, you know, are are better for when you're younger. Maybe you're going to have a mentor when you're younger. Eventually, maybe you're going to be the mentor. You know, it's like it changes over your life. So these are just 10 archetypes that I made up out of the clear blue sky of types of friends that I think bring a lot of value to our relationships. And that if you have only one type of friend, if you have all soul sisters or all daily duty friends or whatever, that maybe sort of changing up these different roles that people play in our life might make you feel less lonely or might give you a different sense of fulfillment in the same way that if you had a company or a corporation that had a board of directors they're going to have different specialties you wouldn't have you wouldn't stock full your board of directors with only finance people 
You need creative people. You mm-hmm. need people who are uh, experts at HR and growth and all these things, right? It's because you want your company to be a well-rounded company that grows. You want to be a well-rounded human that grows. And so you have to have these different types of relationships in your life. I just wanted to bring a little bit of awareness to that, especially as we go through these lonely years, to see that some of the friendships we have in our life, if it maybe might not be what we crave, like I really crave a daily duty friend and I don't have one right now. But you know what? I do have a soul sister. I have an old friend from college that knows me better than anyone else. And that is amazing. Okay, so I have that seat filled so I, it helps me not fixate on the seats that aren't filled, mm-hmm. which brings me to the empty chair. So when I knew I wanted to write a book about friendship, which had been percolating in my mind for years, actually even percolating before I wrote Share Your Stuff, which was my first book, I knew I wanted to write a book about friendship. And I actually knew that I, I thought that I wanted it to be on this life council concept. I also knew that I was going to have to write about friendship loss, mm-hmm. friendship breakups in particular, because as I have all these talks online on on my own podcast, women were telling me that they had gone through a very difficult friendship breakup. A friend had dropped off the face of the earth, like ghosted them. A friend had actually said, we are no longer friends. Um, There'd been a big rift in a friendship group, whatever. I was hearing these stories and I was like, literally no one talks about this. (laughs) Mm -mm. Like you just don't hear about it. We hear all these, you know, talks about romantic friendship, I mean, romantic relationships breaking up, but not friendships and how devastating it can be. Mm-hmm. Because I had so many women and I went through a, a bad friendship breakup myself. But then I was also hearing from other women who were saying like, this was harder than my divorce mm-hmm. to lose my best friend from childhood or whatever. But nobody ever talks about it because we think of friends as like sort of being an unending resource. Well, if one doesn't work out, there's okay, more out there. Yeah, yeah. Like make a new friend. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. Friendship chemistry and, and all the ways in which we connect with friends, especially if you lose one that was dear to you, it cannot be easily replaced. Mm-mm. And so because I'd gone through it myself and because I kept hearing this from other women, I was like, we are going to have a section in this book about mm-hmm. friendship, about what happens when friendship ends. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to give women like the chance to grieve that, like permission almost to be like, if you like stayed in bed after your friendship breakup in the same way that you would have after a romantic breakup, that is okay and normal. Mm -hmm. You ended a relationship with someone that you loved and that loved you and that you had a history with and all the things. And I just wanted to give people like that, not that everyone needs permission, but you know what I mean? Like if you, if that was you, you aren't alone. A lot of us have gone through this. So that's the main part of the empty chair. There's a second part to the empty chair that really matters to me of if you have an empty chair because it has been vacated by someone, also see after your time of grief, also see that now you have an empty chair that is ready and waiting for someone else. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the equivalent of like, I'll leave the light on for you Mm -hmm. of like, you know, like someone coming home to you or whatever. I have an empty chair for you. Because a lot of times we keep our circles close and closed, close and closed of like, Mm -hmm. I have enough friends. I have my best friend. I have my sister. I'm good. I've heard. I mean, I hear people say it. I mean, literally people say it. It's baffling to me. I literally don't understand it. I'm I'm like, like, how do you not have space in your heart for someone amazing? You don't even know. You You don't don't even even know. know what they might be. They could change your whole life. Yeah. 
They could bring light and love and fun and a new career opportunity and a new way of believing something, like all these different things that we are leaving an empty chair for for possibility and inspiration and fun. And so the empty chair may be empty for a painful reason at first, and then it turns into a waiting seat for Mm -hmm. someone that when they come along, you're not rejecting them with, no, my table's full, thanks. Because some of this is like almost like um, a stance in the world, like a posture that we want to be in the world of like, I have open seats at my table Uh because I feel like when we say I'm good, my plate is full, my life council is full. When we have this way of walking in the world that feels closed like Mm -hmm. that, then we aren't letting opportunity and change and growth into our life. things that are closed door yeah it's sad and it's it's like stunted growth yeah 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 Mm -hmm. you're stopped at that moment in time Mm -hmm. if you never have your seats open your doors open your heart open oh it's so true and I mean I just I think about that a lot with moving because there's so many people that that have that here they're like they've got their people and it's funny one of my very best friends here she lives two doors down from me she would have said that and I was like, well, I weaseled my way right in, <laughs> you know, and we're, to, you know, I see her nearly every day. Proximity is a huge part of that for sure. But like she has, she would say that she's full and she doesn't have space, but she has very much made space. And I don't, you know what I mean? I don't even know how much she realizes how much she's opened her arms to me, which is, you know, I tell her every day how much I'm like thankful, you know, that she. But isn't that amazing? Sometimes we are forced to open our arms in some way. So like, let's say uh, my kid is on a travel volleyball team. So like it or not, I am literally spending yeah. travel weekends away with these other families. Uh-huh. So that's a little bit of a forced uh-huh. scenario. But also it can be amazing. I can yeah. view it as forced or I can view it as like, well, we're all in this together. Let's get to know one another. Yes. And then you can come to the end of volleyball season and be like, all right, well, that was fun. But like, we're not, it doesn't need to go beyond this. And that's totally fine. You shared a great experience and you aren't going to be in touch. That's completely fine and healthy. Or you can also be like, oh my gosh, I met my newest bestie. Yeah. That I wouldn't have had my heart open to if we hadn't been on this volleyball team together or whatever. But but I, I made the most of it. So I sometimes forced... Friendship, it's okay. It can be good. Yeah. yeah. It, can, it can work out. Is there a chapter called Forced Friendship? No, but maybe I should have. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, lastly here, do you have a seat you fill in most people? Like, are you just like a different person for different people? I do think that most of us are different people. Yeah. For di- Our different life cancel seats for different people, yeah. sort of depending on, like I said, like, yeah. career friends. Yeah. Mom friends, church friends, neighborhood friends. Like, you know, I mean, a lot of us can fill different seats and we would treat someone differently. Like Mm -hmm. when they're sick after a surgery, you might treat a neighbor friend differently than you would a work friend. I mean, that just sort of makes sense. So I do feel like I fill a lot of seats. But primarily, I am an old friend. Mm. Uh, I love a new friend. Actually, the new friend chapter in the Life Council is one of my favorite chapters of the book. But as I function in my day-to-day life, I have a lot of old friends. I grew up in a really tiny town in Oklahoma. Um, You know, I went to college in Oklahoma. So some of my deepest friends are from childhood. 
and in college years and they know you know a whole different side of me than the one that's lived in Hollywood for 20 years Mm -hmm. I mean that's a different those are like almost like two different Laura's and I think that I function primarily as an old friend I like to be friends for a really long time I like seeing people change and seeing different versions of them. In the book, I write about old friend as anyone who has seen you from one phase into another. Mm. So I happen to have a lot of childhood friends. Again, I think a small town will kind of lends itself to that a little bit. But that's a luxury that not everybody does have. My husband doesn't have a lot of childhood mm. friends. He was a military brat. You know, they moved around a lot. Um He had a brother that was 20 months older than him, so they were sort of best friends. So he doesn't have – he has old friends now in his life, but, like, he doesn't have a lot of childhood friends, let's say. So a lot of people don't have the luxury of having old friends in the same way, depending on what their life looks like. And so I don't want anyone to hear Mm -hmm. me speak about old friends and feel a lack. Like, well, I mean, because you can't recreate childhood friends, right? So, like, you can't think, I'm never going to have that. No, no. Old friends are just anyone who has seen you – from one phase into another. And that can be a matter of years. Like think of a friend that maybe you made in the first year of the pandemic because you were in a bubble together. Mm-hmm. That's only been three years, but Lord, it might feel like an old friend yeah. to you now. <laughs> totally. And I love that you bring up the lack thereof because I often feel that little pang of jealousy when I see people that have like these like huge groups of friends from college, like my college friends, it's a very small group. And I'm always like, you're going on vacation with like 10 friends from college. Like, I don't even know 10 friends from college that I'd be in touch with still. And I, I wasn't in a sorority. So that's maybe part of it. But um, I oftentimes feel that lack thereof. But that's why I think this book is so fun and important is because you might like lean more towards these types of friends or even though you have multiple seats feel filled like the daily duty friend might be like just the more active friend in your life in general you know yes yes you might have more of those and like I said an old friend might not be um truly old it's not about the timeline or like like you said you might just have more friends in one seat because that's the way your life has has shaped out or or your own personality like you might be the the type of person who loves to make new friends. And so you have more of those or more um, work friends if you have a, a, a lot of work um, like that situation. So I the book is made very specifically to not make anybody feel like shame or lack. Mm-hmm. It is crafted very much on purpose for you to see the people who are already in your life as mm-hmm. fulfilling seats on your council. Mm-hmm. And that if you have some very specific gaps, you've never had a mentor. That's one of my gaps. Me then too. you can feel like, okay, well, I'm just acknowledging that I've never had a mentor. I've sort of always wanted one. So now I'm going to keep my empty chair open for that type of relationship. It's it's a book that's made to make people feel gratitude and awareness for who is already in their life and then just maybe looking forward. It is not. It is so purposely. Every word is not infused with lack or shame if you have not had a life full of friendships. Mm, So good. All right. What's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, my gosh. What's something professionally or personally you haven't done that you'd like to do? And you can answer both or one. Have you ever seen on 
on Instagram or anywhere. The woman that started Spanx, oh, Sarah, yeah. Sarah Blakely, Sarah Blakely, for her birthday every single year, she takes mm. her group of friends and they're like her childhood friends. Speaking mm-hmm. of, I think she takes like a group of 20 women on a luxurious crazy vacation Mm -hmm. and I mean you know she's obviously very successful so they like do private jets and private boats Uh yeah like she's obviously doing it in an incredibly luxurious way but there's something about that idea that appeals to me so much to take a group of friends and just my treat yes and we're just going to have a great weekend and we're going to do something fun and I'm going to give you robes or goodie bags or whatever like I'm just going to treat you and you don't have to do anything you don't have to plan an itinerary you don't have to plan a meal I don't know I love that love it every year because she posts about it every year and her birthday she does it for her birthday and I know some people like see it as like a weird flex and I don't I mean it is like a bit of a flex but like the best kind like I'm like I see this as like if you had that kind of money like isn't this beautiful yeah so maybe it'll be five friends instead of 20 and you'll fly commercial, but you can still do it. But you can still do it. You can still be like, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to spend my birthday or yeah. ha- or whatever. I just love it. I just yeah. like love it so much. I love it so much, too. I'm so glad you planted that seed because now I want to do it. All right. Let's get these membership groups rolling in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, this question is hard probably because you're such a reader. But what is the best, most recent book you've read? I feel like you have a million. I do have a million, but I will tell you, I'll give you one nonfiction and one fiction. Perfect. The nonfiction book that I've loved so much in 2023 is called The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control. Okay. It's so good. Even if you don't self-identify as a perfectionist. I'm not. I didn't think I was either. I I. I was more when I was younger, and I felt like I'd done a lot of work around that, and I felt like that I had dropped a lot of those tendencies. I mean, you would never walk into my home or anything, and, Mm. you know, I'm not – it's not perfectly clean. I'm not type A in that way. And so I wouldn't have maybe called myself that. And then you read the book, and you realize that we – a lot of us are – a perfectionist in some area, or we carry some of these same narratives of wanting to be perfect is a strong word, but you know what I mean? I just, it spoke to me so much of um, all of these different ways that we think, like, you know, remember when Brene Brown first started talking about shame mm-hmm. and we were like, I mean, I don't have any shame. Uh-huh. Like we were all like, shame is such a crazy word. Like uh-huh. you feel like shame is only allowed for people who maybe had a, tr- a big trauma or some kind of thing, and, and you maybe didn't identify with that. But then when you t- hear her talk about shame, you're like, oh, no, I have so much shame. Yes. <laughs> okay. That is what I felt about this book. Like, okay. even if you don't like the word perfectionist, you read it, and you're like, oh, yeah, no, this is all of us. Basically, this is no, all of us. No, yeah. I mean, now that you're bringing it up, I'm like, maybe I feel like that a little bit with certain things I do with my parenting. Like, yes, I, I want this. I strive for this, but I don't do it. But, like, then I get hung up on it. Right. And most of us, like, we do care about how people perceive us or whatever, you know, in all kinds of ways. So anyway, I thought it was so good. It is um, nonfiction, like sort of self-help. And then the best fiction I've read, this will not be for everyone, but I loved it so much. And I'm just embarrassed that I had not read this uh, author before now because she won the Pulitzer. What am I doing? Um, Louise Erdick wrote a book, Erdrick, maybe I think it's how you say it. 
She wrote a book called The Sentence. Okay. And it's not the book she won the Pulitzer for. She won the Pulitzer for a book called The Night Watchman. And oh, I, I heard just that one. Yes. So that was a big famous one, you know, won all the awards. I bought the sentence, her latest one, but it still came out over a year ago, I think, on Kindle sale, like just randomly. It was one of those Kindle sale books that somebody mm-hmm. was recommending for a dollar ninety nine or something. Mm. And you know, it's it's different. It's not, you know, you have to sort of be up for a little bit of a quirky adventure, if you will. But it's about a haunted bookstore. And it also has um, a lot of Native American spirituality. She is uh, Native American. She lives in Minnesota. And so I really loved that. And then there's also the story. Um, it's a fictional story, but it gets into like they're in Minnesota. So it gets into COVID and then the murder of George Floyd. Oh. And you know, in some ways, I felt like it's too soon to to read some of these fictionalized versions of not those events aren't fictionalized, but you know what I mean? Like characters yeah. that are living through those events. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm my heart's up for it. It just feels too soon. Yeah. I thought she did a beautiful huh. job of capturing this that part of what was happening in the real world when the you know, the main thrust of the story, the storyline of the novel is about this haunted bookstore it was just, she wove it was the real really, life stuff into it. Yes, it was masterful. Huh. It really was. Wow. Have yeah. you read The Night Watchman? No, I, I bought it on Kindle right after I right finished because I was you're like, like, I have to read more. What am I doing that yeah. I have not even read her yet? And I know people love her. So, has Jamie B. Golden given it a green light? So, you know, let me tell you something Jamie B. Golden and I have very different reading tastes. Yeah, I guess that doesn't surprise me. Not radically different. We do overlap on some. And yeah. and um, she's greenlit both of my books. So I will say her taste is stellar. Impeccable. Yeah. <laughs> do you listen to the po- She won't listen to this. Do you listen to the podcast every week? Uh, I do listen to the podcast. Not every single week because uh, time and topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, most of the Yeah, I, I, I listen to I most. I love it so much. I love um, her. I love Knox. I love what they do. They're so smart. They're so funny. So they're so good at it. My um, my husband is also an Enneagram Five, so lots of things that Knox says very much reminds me of my husband's humor and just his personality. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons why I like it so much. And obviously, yeah. I love Jamie and and uh, Aaron, of course. Yeah, they are all great. They really um, are. Okay, do you have a trip or a place you recommend going to, like with your family? So this is, you know, this is a big splurge for a lot of people, but we love doing water stuff. I think you have to love water stuff for this location, but we love going to Hawaii because Mm -hmm. we like to snorkel. Mm -hmm. Um, We like to whale watch. Our family's real into like boating things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, I know that that doesn't work for everybody. Like if you have little kids, they might be too wiggly on a boat or you know some people are not really into snorkeling or scuba diving or whatever but for our family we've done multiple trips that are water-based where so do you ho- go in hawaii we go to the big island okay and then we took a, fa- a very special family trip and this is a big one this is a big one but to tahiti okay and it for the same reasons now i would not go to tahiti if you have kids that need to be constantly st- stimulated there's nothing to do there but water Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. like you have to be into water stuff but for teens if you have older kids that would be into water stuff or who don't need quite as much like entertainment yeah yeah. um 
I mean, because you are very remote. Like the Wi-Fi isn't great. Like it's like it's, it's remote. Kind of beautiful though. Oh my gosh, you can't even yeah. believe how beautiful it is. It's a splurgy trip if you have a big milestone family reason, you know. Um, it's amazing. Um, okay, last message to leave with the audience. There is no such thing as a friendship fairy. No one is going to drop friendships on your front door. You have to make an effort. I know that's hard because we're all efforting in every other area of our life. We are trying to be good parents. We are trying to take care of our health. We are trying to take care of our marriages and our careers and all the things that we already have on our plate. No one wants to add friendship to a to-do list. Mm. But if you don't, you are going to wind up lonely. You have to make an effort. Friendship, it's an ongoing thing. It pays dividends. Friends you make now maybe the people who help you through a hard time in 10 years. You have to be intentional about it. You have to pay attention to it. There's no friendship fairy. Laura Tremaine, thank you so much. This was so fun. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Laura, for coming on the podcast. You can find Laura on Instagram. She is laura.tremaine, T-R-E-M-A-I-N-E. Don't forget, she has a podcast as well, 10 Things to Tell You. And you can learn more on her website at lauratremaine.com. Her two books are Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, and The Life Council. We will link those books in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. Just click on the Why Is Everyone Yelling tab to grab those links. And you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter there so that the show notes are just delivered to your inbox every single week when the podcast drops so that you don't miss anything we talked about that you want to check back on. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram. Why is everyone yelling on Instagram is this podcast and drop me an email anytime. I would love to hear from you. Lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. All right. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Share the show if you enjoyed it and we'll see you next week on why is everyone yelling. <laughs> <laughs>